Take your Bibles out. We're actually going to end up in the Psalms here in a little bit. We'll be in Psalm 30, uh, 25 and 32, those two chapters eventually. So I'm hoping that as this new year progresses that uh, each one of you are finding, discovering within yourselves a, a kind of a fresh determination to discover God's purpose for your life. And two weeks ago we started talking about that, that idea of discovering God's purpose for our lives. And, and we began by looking kind of just at the importance of doing that. Why we need to find God's purpose for our life. Why do we go searching for God's purpose or God's will for, for our lives? And we talked a little bit about the things that that does for us. One, the, one of the kind of practical things that helps keep us out of the ditch. When we're following God's purpose, it keeps us from going places we shouldn't go and getting ourselves in situations that we shouldn't, that we shouldn't uh, be in. We also talked a little bit about how the fact of the matter is that there's lots of good things you can do with your life. There are a lot of good things. There's a million good causes out there. Look around. There's all sorts of, uh, all sorts of really good things you can do. Uh, but there's really only one best thing. And that is what God has set aside for you to do with your life. And, and, that, uh, we, and, and last week we kind of moved on by laying a little bit of a foundation for what we're talking about by establishing God's reason for creating us in the first place. And we talked about the, the amazing thought or concept that God created us not because he needed us, but because he desired us, because he loved us. You know, God didn't need fellowship. And, and God certainly doesn't need me to do things. And, you know, we, we've said that oftentimes that, um, you know, God doesn't need our money. Obviously, you know, the scripture says that, that God owns the cattle, what? On a thousand hills. Literally, he owns everything. Everything is his. But he's laid out the concepts of biblical stewardship mostly for our safety. And for, our, for, our, for, uh, for, for us to, to stay, again, to stay out of the ditch, so to speak. And so when we follow God's, God's guidelines for stewardship, we end up pointing our life in the right direction. And so we, we talked a little bit about, about that last week of God's great love being the basis for everything and what he desires for us. And then that, that ultimately leads us to God's motivation for what we've seen transpiring ever since sin entered the world and broke the relationship that God desired to have with mankind, God's underlying motivation since then has been single, kind of single-threaded or single-purpose, and that's the the concept of redemption. As we look from from Genesis, and pretty much immediately, actually immediately following the fall, even as God cast them out of the garden or moved them out of the garden, he did so for their own benefit, for Adam and Eve's own benefit and ultimately for ours. And then throughout the Old Testament on into the New Testament, we see that God's overarching purpose is redemption, to restore us to right relationship with him. And so that, that kind of is the bottom line of God's purpose in the world. God desires reconciliation. That is, that's his overarching, so to speak, motivation for, uh, that drives everything that he does right now. He desires to see mankind, mankind restored to him. And, and so that is God's, kind of God's, God's bottom line purpose 
for everything that he does in the world today. He wants to restore and to redeem fallen mankind. And so then what we need, that gives us that starting point because we, we talked a little bit about the, that, the little saying from uh, the writer of Peter Pan about you know, the way you find Neverland is you go the second star from the right and straight on till morning. And, and sometimes God are discovering our specific purpose because the reality is that well, though we know God has an overarching purpose of redemption, that for each one of us, he has a specific purpose. He has things that he desires for us to do. And there are things that only we can do. And sometimes finding those seems a little like finding the second star from the right. You know, you look at the night sky and actually it's, it's an amazing thing. It's like every, particularly when you get one of those crystal clear nights and if you happen to be away from the city and out in the countryside, you know, the, and you, you begin to realize the vastness of the universe. And I mean, you remember we, when we played that... Uh, the video by Louis Giglio, when he talked about the just the sheer immenseness of the universe, you know, and he zoomed way out and said, you know, here is the Milky Way galaxy, and then, you know, talk about pointing down here in this little thing that's that at this scale is smaller than a speck of dust is Earth, you know, and in the midst of all of that, God knows you. He knows your name, and he desires fellowship and relationship with you. And, and um, it's an amazing thing. And so we, it's that, that great love. And so, but at the same time, in the midst of all that, finding our specific purpose can seem a little daunting. And I can remember struggling with that, with that as, as a teenager, as a high schooler, and a college, as a college student as well. What is it that God wants me to do? And I'll confess to you that part of my struggle was the fact that I said, you know, God, I'll do anything you want me to do except. Except. And I remember very clearly what I think was kind of a, um, one of those, turning point moments in my life a little bit like Peter you know when he when he denied Christ the three times it wasn't a it wasn't a positive event but it ended up having a positive effect because that moment when Peter denied Jesus for that third time and heard the rooster crowing the realization came to him and that turned his life it ended up turning his life for the better it was a turning point and I can remember there was uh, my freshman year at, at Eastern Michigan University. I had one of those, or not was my, actually between my freshman and sophomore year, had one of those turning point moments when a friend of mine from high school, her parents were coming. She was actually staying at Eastern and, and uh, living on campus, and they were coming to have dinner with with her with her that evening. And she saw me on campus and said, hey, do you want to go, do you want to, my parents are coming. Do you want to? Do you want to go have dinner with us? Sure, I had nothing else to do, and I went. and And her mom asked me that question. So, what are you going to do, Greg, with with your life? You know, what do, what do you going to do? Are you going to be a, a preacher like your dad? And I looked at her very clearly and said, "I'll." That's the one thing I will never be. <laughs> so I don't really know exactly what I want to do, but I know that that's one thing I will never be. And, and, and literally that, later on, it was at a, a youth group staff meeting with that very week, 
that I finally surrendered my will to God's will. And so it was a turning point moment. And at the same time, so I know part of my struggle was just my own hard-headedness and stubbornness. But at the same time, I, know, I understand that oftentimes in finding our purpose in, in this large world was so many things that we could do. I mean, you could go be a missionary to Bolivia. Or you could go, you know, or maybe you could be a missionary to Ypsilanti. Or maybe you, there's just so many things. So many things you could do. So many, so many, so many different things that could be God's purpose. You finding it can be a little daunting, and and so this morning I want to actually talk about some things you've heard before. Okay, I'm going to tell you right up front that any nothing I'm going to say today is something that I had one haven't said to you before. I'm pretty confident of that I've been been here what almost twenty years. <laughs> so you've been listening to me flap my gums. On Sundays for almost 20 years. Did you realize, anyone realize that? In August, it'll be 20 years. And so I'm sure, I am absolutely sure that at some point in time, I have said every last thing that I'm going to say to you today before. But they're things that we sometimes, because they're simple and obvious, we look right over the top. How many of you have ever been guilty of that? He had something, he's trying to figure out what's going on here. And, and at the very end, when you finally figured out, it was the most obvious thing. It's like, how on earth did I miss that? How on earth did I miss that? And so this morning, what I'm going to talk about this morning is nothing new, but it's something that we, need to, that, that we need to be reminded of, I think. In order to find your purpose for the Word, I'm going to give you four practical suggestions of things that you have to do. Okay? If you're not doing these four things, you will not find God's specific purpose for your life. That I can tell you. Let's start out. Number one, you have to get into the Word. You know, we talked last week about establishing the under, that overarching purpose. You have to get into the Word. How do, you, how do you understand God's purpose for you if you don't know Him? If you don't know him, how many of you have ever made a, a made a, had a you know uh, committed a misjudgment before? Yet someone did something, and you you probably took offense. You took offense. It's like oh, unbelievable. And then six weeks later, or some at some time after that, you discover there were other circumstances, and all of a sudden. What you judged initially, you realized was completely wrong. And a lot of times, it's a lot of times the source of that is the fact that you don't know the person. You ever ever for the first time you met someone, they just rubbed you the long, wrong way. They did things that just bothered you, irritated you, made you angry. But you know, as fate would have it, you get stuck with them for a while, and after a while, you realize I, I completely misjudged what this who this person was. And why they say the things they do. And, and, and the meaning behind what they say. Because you didn't know them. See, you have to get into God's word because if you don't know God, if you don't know him, if you don't know about him, you won't know his purpose for you. 
In order to find his purpose for you, you've got to discover who God is. The fact of the matter is, I think it's a good thing to ask yourself a question. Why do I read God's word? Why do you read God's word? To learn. And that's, and that's, a, that, that's a good answer. I think that there's two, but there's two primary reasons that we read God's word. One, we read God's word to know about him. To know about him. And secondly, we read God's word to know him. As you read from the beginning to the end of the scripture, so to speak, listen to what's happening. And there's a, a few years ago, there was a group that, that they didn't rewrite scripture, but, but they, and they didn't really rearrange it. But one of the things they did is they took out a lot of the verse markers. And even the, the, the book and the chapter things. And I think what they, they called it was the story. Because sometimes what we fail to do when we don't read God's word for the right reasons, when we don't, when we don't read God's word for the right reasons, we tend to do it in a way that causes us to miss the story. And so we need to read God, the word of God and, and see it as the story of his love for us and his desire for redemption and reconciliation. And when you read God's word in that manner, I think that it opens up and it becomes something entirely different. So in order to understand God's purpose, you have to discover who God is and, and what he's all about. And our best resource for that is the word of God, the Bible. We need to get into the word. We need to discover who he is because God's purpose just simply can't be separated from who he is. It's not possible. Not possible. Number two, you have to get into your prayer closet. Again, these are obvious ones. You've heard that scripture, you have not because you ask not. A lot of times when we hear that scripture, you have not because you ask not, we immediately think of material things. Provision. Finances. Health even. I think this, it applies just as much to this, finding God's purpose for our lives as it does anything else. You don't know what God wants for you because you haven't asked him. Maybe some of you are afraid to ask him. I, I actually, I, I remember someone from my youth group in Celine said that. I'm a little afraid to ask God what he wants me to do because I'm afraid he's going to call me to be a missionary. You know what that kind of said is that God had placed some sort of a longing in their heart. And that's why they thought God might call them to be a missionary. Get into your prayer closet. Ask God for counsel and then listen for his answer. Psalm chapter 32 Verses 6 to 9 says this, Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time than when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct, listen to this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will, this, I love this, this, this phrase, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God literally desires to have a face-to-face -face conversation with you and say, this is what I want you to do. 
Now, read the next line of scripture. It kind of brings us back down. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. God desires to have a face-to-face conversation and to tell you what he desires for you. And oftentimes he's waiting for you to make time for that. Long time ago, a a Christian singer, I say a long time ago, it was a long time ago, oh, better than 30 years. I think it was Larnell Harris, I'm not sure. He wrote a song that went, I miss my time with you. It was, it was meant to be God speaking to us. I miss my time with you. And it was written from the perspective of God speaking to someone who used to have a regular time of devotion with him and now has begun to get busy in life and kind of miss it. I miss my time with you. You ever said that to a good friend? Man, I miss seeing you. Got to talk with, FaceTime with my brother yesterday morning a little bit. And every time I talk with him, I think, man, I miss this guy. I, I just miss him. I, I like, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for, for Apple. <laughs> for, I'm thankful for the technology that allows me to look at his face and see him and talk to him, but but I miss sitting with him. And so often I think God just waits. He has so much to tell you. So much to, to, to speak into your life. And he's just waiting for you to sit down and have that face-to-face conversation. But so often most of us are wishing that God would treat us like verse 9 says that we shouldn't. Where it says, be like, don't be like a horse or a mule which requires a bit or a bridle. See, God's not wanting someone he has to treat like a mule. Well, you know how you treat a mule, you know that, what the old farmer says? Yeah, with well, a two-by-four. You know, that, that's the old joke that farmer had a mule that was just... The neighbor farmer would see this farmer out there working with him and that mule was pulling things and working for him. And, and so he thought, you know, I need to do something. He went over, can I borrow your mule? Sure, no problem. So he takes it and he goes over and the thing would not, wouldn't do a thing. Couldn't get him to do a thing and he would, got exasperated. He went, he went back to the farmer. I can't get him to do anything. So the farmer who owned the mule grabbed, picked up a, picked up a two-by-four, walked over and banged, him, banged the mule on the head and the, the other farmer said, what would you do that for? He said, well, you got to get his attention first. <laughs> so often we want God to act like that with us. And God rather would, would much rather sit down and have a, con- a face-to-face conversation with you. Get in your prayer closet. Ask God what he would desires for you to do. And then listen to his counsel. Psalm 25 says he leads the humble in what is right. And teaches the humble his way. That kind of points to the second problem that we often have. I'll do anything but. How many of you have, will you admit you've got something that you say, God, I'll do anything but? I'm not the only one. I know I'm not. I'll do anything but. See, God's waiting. And he says, I'll teach the humble. 
You know what it means to be humble? To be submitted, to be submissive. God, whatever you desire of me, I desire your will. Get into your prayer closet. Ask God for his counsel and then listen for his answer. Third, number three, get into fellowship. Get into fellowship. What's the number one analogy we find is particularly in the New Testament for the body of Christ? I just gave you the answer, by the way. What's the number one analogy? It's the body. The body. Scripture says, you know, the, the, the eye doesn't say to the elbow, I don't need you. How many of you have ever broken a bone? And all of a sudden you discover how often you use that silly bone. Right? You know, you, you hurt something that, I mean, just un, things that you would never think of. Has anyone ever really hurt their thumb? Man, and if you hurt it on your dominant hand, sudden you, suddenly you realize how important this thing is. See, the, the, the body is God's design. And so in order to discover his purpose for you, you need to get into the body of Christ. Because your specific purpose in God's economy, so to speak, or God's world is tied with your place in the body. It's his design. As his children, we are intended to function within the body, not as independent entities, and that's why in the New Testament, you know, Paul writes that. He says, the eye doesn't say to the elbow, I don't need you. I have a second cousin that when she was a kid, she went running out to the lawnmower, the riding lawnmower, to ask her dad a question. And as she got close, she slipped. And her foot flew underneath the mower deck. And she lost her big toe. She had to learn how to walk again. Losing one big toe. See, we need every part, the body. In order to understand God's purpose for you, you have to understand your, the way you fit into the body of Christ. And if you aren't in the body of Christ, well, you've got a problem. It's God's design. A rejection, think about it, a rejection of the body of Christ, a rejection of fellowship with other believers, is actually a rejection of God's purpose for you. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people in our world that will tell you that. Well, I, I love God, but I don't have anything to do with the church. Well, then you just rejected God's design and plan for life and for you. That's an unfortunate thing, isn't it? Most of the time, it's just a, a smokescreen anyway. It's a smokescreen for the fact that they understand and know that they're not living in a way that they should. They're not doing the things that they should. And that's what they use to kind of draw your attention away from it. So you have to get into fellowship. See, not only do you need to find your function in the body of Christ to help you find your purpose in God's economy, but you also that's also a source of great wisdom. There, get the counsel of other believers. What do I need to do? Sometimes you just need to hear someone else's viewpoint. Have you ever struggled with a decision? 
You ever struggled with a decision and then finally you went and asked someone else, what do you think? And what they taught, what they began to tell you, realize, made you realize, I'm seeing this from a very narrow perspective. There's, a, there's other ways to look at this that help us to understand. So counsel from other believers. And you need, in order to receive that, you need to get into fellowship with those believers. Truth is, is that not any one of our journeys is completely unique. Other people have traveled that road before. Other people have traveled there. That's why there's such, there's such great power in mature believers mentoring younger believers. Why? Because they've traveled that road. They traveled that road. It's like watching you know, um, the, a mother, a young mother, the first child. Oh, man. The child practically lives wrapped in bubble wrap. And by number four, number five, number six, oh, they'll bounce. And she's right. We learn. And your road, your road as a believer is not entirely unique. It's, it, it is unique in that God has a specific purpose for each one of you. But we all travel the road of life and other believers have been in very similar situations, can offer you wise counsel. But you have to get into fellowship to get that counsel from other believers. And finally, this I struggled with a, la- a way to put this last one. Kind of sounds kind of funny. But I put it, get into you. And I don't mean that in an egocentric sort of way. Like I'm going to get really get into myself. You know what I mean? What I mean is this, is it's a realization that you are God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. I remember when they came out with a, I think it was part of a Sunday school curriculum thing. But it was a, or at least that's where I remember seeing it. And there was a picture of this little boy. And he's saying, I know I'm okay because God don't make junk. We are his workmanship. You are his workmanship. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 through 10 says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That we should walk in them. You are created... You are God's workmanship. You were created for good works in Christ Jesus. So discover, a lot of times discovering your purpose means you look at the, what God has put within you. What giftings has he given you? What strengths has he given you? What, what, what is he, how has he created you? You are designed with a purpose. Brandon and I got a new toy not too long ago. It's a three, little 3D printer. You know, it's fun to just make little things that do stuff. And so we've started creating mostly for hobby things. Although my first, my first thing was for a, a little plug to go in the door where we kept getting a bug. We'd cradle, we had this little, it's our, the door to our patio slider, it's got this little knob that turns. 
And every time you turn around, there'd be a new nest of some kind built into the screw hole of that. Dig it all out. Week later, there's another one there with a new little egg of whatever it was. My first project was to make a plug for that hole. <laughs> it worked. It's still there. Finding God's purpose often means looking at ourselves. How's God created me? What are the giftings and the strengths that he's placed within me? And weaknesses. And I'm going to ask you to I'm going to ask you to think big here or to think kind of outside sort of outside the box. When you look and see how God's created you and you see your weaknesses, what do you immediately think? Well, see I'm kind of weak in this, so I know God doesn't want me to do that. Except there's a problem with that logic. Because the scripture says that God uses what? The weak to confound the strong. And that oftentimes, in the areas of our weakness, is sometimes where he wants us to step out. Why? Because he knows that as long as we're operating in an area of our weakness, we will always understand who's doing the job. Who's making it happen? It's him. We're never going to get, start. our, our ego isn't going to start growing because we understand, wait a minute, this is what I'm worst at. How could I possibly be succeeding here? It's because of God. It's by his grace. And so when, as you consider yourself as God's workmanship, look to see what are my strengths and my weaknesses. To a certain extent, there's an old saying, form follows function. Has anyone heard that before? Form follows function. It means this, that it, what it simply means, and I think that it, it came about, in, I think in architecture, that there was a, a trend that you designed a building based upon what it was going to do. So if it's a hospital, you design a building to function as a hospital. So the form follows the function. And to a certain extent, I believe that God often does that with us. As he creates us for those good works in Christ Jesus. So before you were born, as he began to map your life out, he said, Amy's going to need these skills. She's going to need these strengths. And even, to a certain extent, these passions or desires. He places those in us. And so there's, there's a, we can actually oftentimes find God's purpose for us by looking at how he's put us together. What are the things I'm passionate about? Here's, here's the greatest thing. You ever heard someone say, they're, they're, I consider myself fortunate in this way as well, is that I'm lucky I have a job doing something I like to do. That, that's, that's, I, I like that. You know, I enjoy it. And, and I'm a computer nerd, I'll admit it. So what better job than to write computer software? I'm a computer, I like messing with computers. And, and I get paid for it. They pay me to do it. Look and find your passions. As you look for God's purpose in your life, look for the things that he's made you passionate about. And begin to explore, begin to explore ways of making that count for his kingdom. I, folks, going to a job you hate, that's work. 
That's work. And oftentimes, we point ourselves in the wrong direction, and even in serving God, and sometimes then we, then we start wondering, why, why am I so unhappy? Why am I, why am I so, remember in the, beginning, the first message in, our, in this series, I asked, you know, do you feel, ever feel stuck? That's not the way God wants us to, to live. We're supposed to be experiencing freedom. And so as we discover his purpose, man, there is, there is a sense of freedom there. And oftentimes, it's like as you, do, as you look to discover his purpose, examine the way God put you together. Look at your passions. Look at your strengths and your weaknesses. Look at the desires. I believe that as you get into that prayer closet and get into God's word and begin to align yourself with God's word and and align yourself with who God is, I think what you'll end up discovering is that he will put in you the passion for what he desires. You know, there's that old scripture that says that he'll grant you the desires of your heart. Well, he'll grant us the desire of our heart when we begin to to align ourselves with him because all of a sudden our desires are his desires. And he will grant us the desires of our hearts. So we need to look at ourselves. Consider the fact that you are God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. He literally had something in mind for you before, as my dad used to always say, you were a twinkle in your mother's eye. He already, had this, he already had a purpose in mind for you. He already had something that he said, this is just for Mike. This is just for Miranda. This is just for Bonnie. It's just, they're the only one that can do this. And I'm creating them to do this. In the same way that I like to create little gadgets to do things. God has a purpose for each one of us. And then together, as we discover our purposes individually, you gather those all together, and then you find the purpose for the church. It's, a, it's kind of a conglomeration. The purpose for the church is the sum of God's purposes for all of us as individuals.